Hello, attention everyone. Please take your seats. We're about to begin. This episode is all about talking ourselves out of change. Hello, everybody. I'm Brock Armstrong. And I'm Monica Reinagel. And this is the Change Academy podcast, where in every episode, we use our expertise in nutrition, fitness, behavior change, and cognitive behavior theory to help you move closer to your ideal self. You know, there's an odd but very common phenomenon where we identify some change that we'd like to make in our lives, and we get excited about it. We might even take a step or maybe two towards making that change, but then we abandon the effort before we've really tried long enough to succeed, or really even to fail. (laughs) right. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about how and why we so often talk ourselves out of making the changes that we want to make. And we want to give you some tools that will allow you to push through that particular species of self-sabotage. Good topic. But before we get into that, we always like to take a moment at the beginning of each episode and talk about things that we're working on or things that you guys out there have been working on and have written to us about. And this week, we've actually been coaching one of the clients in our weight loss program on an issue that... I think you'll probably recognize, and it fits really well into today's discussion as well. So at one point, this individual said that maybe she didn't want, whatever it was, want it quite enough. And she wished that she wanted the change, or the in this case, the, the weight loss, more. She wanted to want it more. So when we asked why she didn't want it more, she said something very insightful that kind of went like this. It's because I'm afraid of failing. If I want it more and become really invested in this idea and then still fail, I'm going to feel that much worse. So I'd rather just not start at all. Mm, How many times have we heard things like this? Yeah, variations on that many, many times. And you know, what's happening here is our client is talking herself out of the change that she wants to make, because she doesn't want to risk failing and being disappointed. And she was actually sacrificing the possibility of succeeding just to avoid the possibility of failing. And I think this is all about being way too afraid of failure. You know, failure doesn't have to be a devastating disappointment, and it doesn't have to be the end of the effort. I mean, what if instead, we could just use failure as fuel? And this is what we were talking about in episode number nine. Failure is such a necessary and a valuable part of the process. One of my favorite quotes on this is from Brooke Castillo. I once heard her say, failure is currency. And success is what you buy with it. (laughs) And that just totally changes how failure can feel. And maybe that helps to take away some of that dread or fear of failure. Because it's true, I think that this woman put her finger right on it. If you don't allow yourself to want it, obviously, you're going to never try. And if you never try, you'll never fail, but you'll also never succeed. And I just want so much more for all of you than an existence that's free of failure, but also free (laughs) of success. Right. So let's dig into today's discussion about how we can stop doing this, how we can stop talking ourselves out of change. Okay. Well, let's start with our brains. (laughs) It's where it all starts. (laughs) Yeah, it's where a lot of it. Yeah. So... 
we have different sections of our brain and and I hope there are no neuroscientists out there listening because this is going to be <laughs> very very dumbed down but but useful but useful so our lower brain is the part of our brain that simply cares about getting pleasure avoiding pain and being efficient which <laughs> has in its most base usage has kept us as a species alive and has allowed us to become arguably the apex predator on the planet. But it can also hold us back from really achieving the things that we want to achieve and becoming that version of ourselves that we want to become. Making a significant change in yourself doesn't fit into any of those criteria it doesn't fit into getting pleasure, avoiding pain, or being efficient. So that part of our brain, the lower part of our brain, will push back and it'll spew out a whole a barrage of excuses as to why we shouldn't make this change. And if we choose to actually listen to those excuses, well, then we just get stuck. And, you know, one of your brain's favorite ways to talk you out of change is to come up with a bunch of stories and I say stories because usually these are fictions, right? A bunch of stories about why change is actually not possible. And mm -hmm. if change is impossible, well, then you're off the hook, right? <laughs> sure. But, you know, let's, let's talk about some of these ways, some of these things that our brain will bring up to convince us that oh, it's not even possible to change. One of the ones we hear a lot is, well, it's in my genes. I'm just right. genetically, you know, disposed to whatever this is. And, you know, this is such a misunderstanding of genetic information. Our genetic code is not our destiny. It's not like a script that's already been written where the outcome has already been decided. It's more like one of those choose-your-own-adventure games <laughs> where there's a lot of different possible outcomes and how the game plays out is going to depend on what choices you make along the way. So, yes, our genes do determine our predisposition, our sometimes our risk factors, but they do not determine our outcomes. And so there's virtually, there's very, very few things that are truly predetermined by your genes. Right. I mean, that's the whole science of epigenetics is mm -hmm. exactly what Monica just explained. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go and look up epigenetics, but we're not experts in that. So we won't go down that rabbit hole. But a lot of what we assign as sort of genetics or we say, well, you know, look at my parents, they have bad knees, so I'm I'm destined to have bad knees as well. But a lot of that comes into our, our second excuse, which is I was raised this way or I've been doing this for so long. And the reason that I say that ties into genetics is often what we think is genetics is actually learned behavior from the way that we were raised, either directly or indirectly. Like, <laughs> One of the biggest examples in my life, I'm watching my niece and nephew, who are quite young right now, mimic the way that my my mother, their grandmother, moves. And she does have arthritis in her knees and her hips, so she does move in a very particular way. And I can see the kids mimicking that movement just 
by watching or, and learning from example. And I want to shut that down because I know that's the way that those genetics can seemingly play themselves out. But it's really just how how we were raised rather than than this sort of uncontrollable biological thing that's inside of us. Yeah, you know, and by the same token, type 2 diabetes runs in families. If you have two parents or siblings that have been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, then you're more likely to be diagnosed. And there is a genetic component to this, but I think it's dwarfed by the fact that families grow up eating in certain ways. They develop right. certain dietary patterns and uh, and lifestyle habits that they have in common and that often these have much more to do with their tendency to develop type 2 diabetes than the actual genetic predisposition. But our point really is that just because you have always done something the same way or you've been doing something a certain way for a long time doesn't mean that you can't change it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. pretty much the premise of, a, of this entire podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> and most of what Brock and I do is that change is always possible. So I, I think that that's just another way that our brain uses to let us off the hook for doing the work of change and having the fun of change uh, by saying like, ah, you know, it, there's no way to change this now. Another one that comes up a lot is that society is somehow set us up for this outcome. And there's no way to push back against society. We hear a lot about the obesogenic environment, right? Um, The fact that now, um, you know, pretty much anywhere you go to shop, you could be shopping for hardware, you could be shopping for (laughs) underwear, for it really gas, it doesn't matter, there's going to be some snack counter, there's some opportunity for you to buy food. And we've sort of normalized this idea that we can and should be eating pretty much through our entire waking hours, you know, next time you're out in the car, take a look around you at the um, drivers in the cars next to you and see how many of them are chewing while they're driving (laughs) or sipping or both. Yeah. And this definitely has been normalized. Food is everywhere. We constantly have opportunities to to purchase and consume foods and beverages and advertising is everywhere we go. We're constantly being reminded and prompted Uh, We do live in an obesogenic environment, but that doesn't determine our response to that environment. And I also think it's a reminder of how important it is to set up support systems for ourselves. You know, if our environment, whether it's our workplace, our family, you know, our household or our society is not supporting the changes that we want to make or the lifestyle that we want to live, then we need to build a micro environment around us of people who have the same sorts of goals as we do so that we we can find that support, we can generate that support. And we talked about that in a previous episode as well on the importance of creating a supportive community. And I can't help but also bring up our social media when we're talking about society being to blame, but and also talking about support. I think curating the the people that you follow and the sources of information that you're choosing to expose yourself to can can be a level of support or it can be a level of sabotage depending mm. on what you do to yourself. And as much as I do think it's important to keep yourself open to lots of different ideas around the world, I think creating that nice support system for yourself so you're not getting derailed by your own Twitter feed or Facebook feed or whatever can be really important as well. Yeah. And when it comes to excuses our brains have that change is impossible, there's always the, well, I've I've tried it before and I've failed before. Mm -hmm. And 
This is clearly not valid because most of us don't get anything that we try to do on the first attempt. And the only reason we ever succeed is because we try again. And we talked about this in episode number 14, that your past does not predict your future as much as your brain would like to tell you that it does. Yeah. Failure is not baggage. Failure is wisdom. (laughs) Mm You know, in general, the best way I know to respond to these sorts of arguments, and I'm going to put that in air quotes, uh, that our brain serves up is to simply go out and collect some evidence that change is possible. And of course, we talked about that just a couple of episodes ago in episode number 19. Mm -hmm. You can go ahead and collect your own counter evidence to and and serve that up to your brain. So there. (laughs) (laughs) Take that brain. (laughs) But, you know, our brain can still go ahead and come up with a bunch of excuses or rationalizations for not taking action or maybe not taking action right now. Yeah, I think one of the one of the ones that I'm actually experiencing at the moment, I'm still doing Sober October for anybody who's following (laughs) along at home. And this uh, this first one on our list, the the idea that, well, you know, I'm not as bad off as some people or I'm. I'm good enough. Like I, for me, it's like, well, I don't drink that much anyway. Why am I bothering with this? That right. whole, like maybe the status quo is actually good enough kind of rationalization or excuse is a, is a big one that my brain's throwing at me right now. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's probably pretty common. And another one that, uh, that I think is maybe a little bit less conscious is the idea that, okay, if I succeed in changing, but my friends or my family don't necessarily follow me, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to lose mm. my community. I'll be the odd man out. And I think our desire to belong um, sometimes can rear its head in this way that we start to worry that that a change is going to move us away from the familiar and the comfortable. And I guess there's always the old, you know, I'm just, I have a lot on my plate right now. <laughs> this is, isn't a good time. I'm way too busy for this. I'll I'll do it in the new year. I'll start on Monday or I'll I'll do it another time when I have more time magically. This time is going to somehow present itself and become right. part of our schedule, which of course it never does. Oh, right. But we do do that thing where we put it off till later when I'm not so busy or so stressed out or something. Yeah. Here's an inside tip. If, uh, if you're ever trying to get me to do something, <laughs> just uh, ask me if I could do it in six months. And I'll always say like, oh, sure. I'll have of plenty course. of time six months from now. I've, I've always got plenty of time if the deadline is six months from now. If you ask me to do it a month from now, I am way, way too busy. But of course, I'm not going to start it <laughs> for five more months. So by the time I start it, I will also be too busy to do it. So yeah, that's, that's a total boondoggle. Um, You're never going to be less busy. You're never going to have less on your plate. Life is not going to become any less complicated. And and besides, those just aren't good reasons not to move towards a better version of yourself. So I'm just going to reject that reason. I did a whole workplace hero episode about, I think it's called the Parkinson's Law. A task will expand to fill the time allowed for it. Whether that task is like five minutes, it'll and you give it half an hour, it'll take you half an hour. Or if it's supposed to be a two-hour job, but you only have ten minutes, it'll take ten minutes. Sure, you can spend three months packing and moving your household, or you can do it in a weekend (laughs) if you have to. But but yeah, it will definitely expand. And our final one on the list of excuses and rationalizations is that like our client that we talked about earlier, I might fail. Right. And we've already pretty much talked about why that should never keep us from from taking action. Yeah. 
So one of the biggest problems is that when we use these excuses over and over again, and, and most of us have many times throughout our lives, is they become well-practiced. And as we know, we don't even have to go back to our episode about practice, practice, practice to, to remind you or for you to know that when you practice something, you get really good at it and you mm -hmm. actually create neural pathways that make that the automatic response. So what we want to do is make sure that we're shutting these down and replacing them with different reasons and different realities and, and, and different phrases or ways of looking at things. So we don't just continue to give these excuses more and more power. We start to pull the rug out from under mm. them instead of giving them more energy and more more traction. You know, I think another issue, Brock, is that so often we don't even hear what our brains are saying to us. These little messages mm. that our brain, our lower brain is whispering in our ear, they're kind of operating below that subconscious level. And if we're not aware that we're having those thoughts, we certainly can't question them. And that's something that we we talk about a lot in, in this podcast and something that we get into a lot in the Wayless program too, is just cultivating that awareness is really the first step in, in making any sort of headway mm -hmm. in happiness, in change, in any aspect of our lives. First, we have to know what is really happening. What is What are the cues that are setting us off? What are the circumstances what is the the trigger that is causing us to to make these choices or take these actions? But if we never become aware of them, then we can pontificate all we want, but we can never really apply that knowledge to our lives. And I guess that's part of where this idea of ego defenses, you may have heard that that term before, an ego defense. These are thoughts that operate on a subconscious level that help us. We're using air quotes a lot this week. They help us ward off unpleasant feelings like anxiety, worry, or, or doubt. Yeah, especially doubt. Yes, yeah. And an ego defense mechanism, it's totally natural and it's totally normal. And it's something that we developed as children, again, to protect ourselves from those unwanted feelings. But again, just like that lower brain thought that we talked about earlier, if they go unchecked, they can keep us stuck in the status quo. Well, and that's exactly right. I mean, now we've given a lot of time to the processes happening in our lower brain, but we are not run entirely or exclusively by our lower brain. Thank God. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> we do have what we sometimes very inaccurately referred to as our higher brain, just mm. for the sake of simplicity, sometimes that's referred to as the prefrontal cortex. And that's where the actual change can happen. Yeah, that's where we have the power and capability to question, examine, challenge, look at those excuses and be curious about whether they're true or not, and mm -hmm. think about how our current actions will actually affect our future as we can do that sort of time travel and look ahead into our future. If I continue behaving like this, what will this look like down the road? And we can do things like sit down and make a pros or cons list, or we can override these ideas and learn how to shut down the ego defense or the lower brain and all of its darned excuses. <laughs> That's right. So let's bring this into some takeaways and then we'll send you off with your lab experiment for, mm -hmm. for today. So your brain is wired to seek familiarity, comfort, and efficiency. 
And change by definition is unfamiliar, uncomfortable, (laughs) and inefficient. So, Oh, man. No wonder we resist it. Talking you out of making changes by convincing you that change just isn't possible or maybe now is not the best time, that's your lower brain's attempt to keep you safe. And often those thoughts are operating below the surface of your conscious awareness. But by tuning into those thoughts and applying your higher brain and your higher reasoning, you get to decide whether or not those thoughts are actually serving you. All right. Now, speaking of the higher brain and the prefrontal cortex, here is your lab experiment for this episode. And it's actually drawing heavily from a cognitive behavior therapy exercise that's called thought policing. So for this exercise, we want you to think of a particular way that your lower brain or your ego has talked you out of change in the past little while, or maybe it's currently talking you out of change right now. Now, write that down as an unhelpful thought. So you'll just write down the unhelpful thought is blank. Then you're going to sit down and ask yourself four questions. The first one is, is there substantial evidence for or against this thought? And that goes back to our idea of always collecting evidence for these thoughts. Then number two is, am I trying to interpret this situation without all the evidence. And some of that comes back to, have you actually given this a good try yet? Have you you actually tried hard enough to have some good evidence? Then question number three is, what would a friend think about this situation if you talked to them about it? And chances are they'd frame it in a much more positive light than you are. We just tend to do that to ourselves. And number four is, if you talk yourself out of change, how will you feel a year from now, or five years from now, if you talk yourself out of it and you don't make a change, how will you feel about that when time passes? So now once you've had all of these questions written out and answered, read through your answers, and then come up with a more balanced and rational view of what you're convincing yourself of. And don't worry, with practice, this can become much more efficient than having to sit down and write all this down, and it can become a really effective tool for thought management all over the place, not just for <laughs> talking ourselves out of change. Now, if you didn't get all of those questions on the first go-through, um, we have them all written out in the show notes for, for this episode, and all of our show notes and our lab experiment exercises are at changeacademypodcast.com. That's our website. And while you're there, you can put yourself on our mailing list. And that means that when we drop a new episode, we'll shoot you a little email and we'll even include the lab experiment in the email. How convenient is that? Awesome. And while you're on our website, there's also a link where you can drop us a note and let us know what you're working on, what you're thinking about. Uh, Maybe you have something that you'd like us to tackle in an upcoming podcast. Uh, And we even have a little button that will allow you to leave us a voicemail. It's always fun to hear your voices as well. So all of that is on our website at changeacademypodcast.com. And we really do enjoy hearing from you with your questions and your answers. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks, everybody, and don't forget to leave us a voicemail at changeacademypodcast.com.